Ladies and gentlemen, it's now time for the most popular and least listened to podcast in the world, the Sixth Sense Media Podcast, with your host, Mike Phelan. Why, why film directing? Why, why, before you retired, and I saw you got back into it, but when you started yeah. directing films, why, why the film genre? Why did you decide to start directing? No, it was just a lot. Like, I watched a lot of films when I was a kid and started loving cinema, going to the movies. Um, and I was fascinated by it. I, I definitely thought, like, it's an adventurous life to make films. And um, so I started with Super 8 and then uh, VHS uh, videos and so on, um, learning by doing. So, but it was the initial, it was really like the love for film, nothing else, what drove me forward. So when you decided to start directing films, how did you get that process started? Did you just write something and, and pitch it? Or did you find a project that that someone thought you would be good at directing? How'd that go about? No, it was really, I had no contacts to the film industry. And uh, the good thing was uh, with Frank Lustig, my uh, partner at that time, uh, he was in school with me, and we both wanted to do this. So we, it, it's always better you have a, a, a basically a buddy you can bounce ideas with and think what we should shoot. So we started shooting like short films. Like, for example, I had like this big gym and action team figures, and we blowed them up, like really like special effects, little uh, uh, stop motion movies. And then uh, with the video cameras coming later, like Super 8 was always very tough to... Uh, uh, yeah, to develop the film and everything. And with the video cameras coming in, uh, it got so much um, easier in in a way uh, to to film. You could film longer stuff. And then we started doing sh short movies with like amateur actors from our school. Um, and it developed, maybe we were 17 or 18, we did the first real project was basically uh, a documentary about a retirement home. And uh, it was like a 70 minutes uh, uh, documentary. And then we both went off to, uh, um, yeah, to, to university and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and at one point we felt, uh, I wrote a lot of scripts. I sent the scripts out to producers and everything, but nobody gave me any money or produced anything. So uh, we felt we need to do something ourselves. So we developed that idea of German fried movie, like similar to Kentucky fried movie, where you have individual scenes. You can, you can basically prepare the scene like a sketch uh, funny, whatever, like a parody on a TV show or whatever, then you shoot that on 16 millimeters and then you break. Like then you have uh, two weeks, three weeks to prepare the next scene. So we did that project 1991. Uh, it took us eight months and then we had like 80 minutes of film together, like various episodically, like Saturday Night Live kind of style, uh, funny stuff. And then we got a distribution deal for this, and it went to the movie theaters in Germany. We got a DVD deal, uh, DVD deal, home video deal with it, and that started it. And then that company who bought German Fred movie, the same company gave us 150,000 bucks for our next film, 
what was then uh, a murder in Geneva. It was a, a Pulitzer thriller, basically. So they gave us money for this uh, film. And basically from there on, uh, it was every single time it was a struggle to raise the money and keep going. But uh, I continued. My partner, like the Frank Bustick, he uh, didn't. He was like uh, too exhausted to, to continue. Uh, and uh, yeah, so he, he dropped out and then I continued alone. What was your uh, experience like directing when you started making movies uh, that were more mainstream, like, like House of the Dead? How was that experience compared to your earlier ones? Was it a big shock that, uh, that the filmmaking industry was just so big and you were starting to get that, that ball rolling on your, on your fame? Yeah, I think it was a mix. It was, it was basically, first I did uh, uh, one bigger movie uh, in Germany, and um, that was uh, the first semester. That was Universal was a partner, and it was a real bigger theatrical German film, uh, comedy, student comedy. And then I went into a hole because it, was, it, it didn't work out. It didn't make box office. So um, I said to myself, I need to do American films. I need to do English-speaking films, films for the world audience and not like limited to Germany. In 2000, I was able to do then the film Sanctimony with, with Michael Pare, Casper Fondine in, in Vancouver. And uh, that started the U.S. career as a filmmaker. And I did Sanctimony, Blackwood and Heart of America then I got approached to do House of the Dead. So it was kind of a, a development to bigger budgets, mm-hmm. like from two million to three million, and then to the House of the Dead, like almost eight or nine million budget. So, um, but of course, House of the Dead was the first bigger feature film what had a real theatrical release, and it was this kind of. Um, um, yeah, you grow on the occasion thing, you know, like it was, of course, way more action as I ever did before uh, in, in uh, complicated CGI shots and stuff like this. But if you have the right team, um, it works. And uh, and it, I, I think we, we did, a, of course, we got very bad reviews, but but the movie was kind of successful. Uh, you know, it made good money worldwide. So um, that was the, the, the thing what also what triggered that I did more video game-based movies because it, it just worked to get the financing together. And what do, what do you say you, t- you took away from, uh, from House of the Dead that you applied to, like, Alone in the Dark, as far as your, your directing style? Um. I mean, Alone in the Dark is more, uh, let's say, mainstream, less experimental. I think in, in House of the Dead with the animation stuff inside and the total overdrive battle in front of the house, I, I had the matrix set up. We had like a turntable set up. We, we really used the, a lot of technical uh, toys, basically, mm-hmm. for House of the Dead. And it was a lot of fun to do it in 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 Alone in the Dark, I went more, in a way, mainstream. Also, the actors were even like more known, like with Christian Slater, Stephen Dorff, and Tara Reid. And, and um, the budget was more as double. Uh, but I think House of the Dead is kind of the better movie. I mean, it's more fun to watch it. And it's kind of more, uh, in a way, like a campy horror film. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think Alone in the Dark 
is maybe my worst movie I did because it's uh, there. There was various things uh, that were very problematic. The first thing is Atari stopped developing Alone in the Dark four at that point, and they gave us before like plot points from that game, and we followed basically a little in the expectation there's a new Alone in the Dark game coming out when the film comes out and it's similar to the film, but all of this fell apart. And then we had basically a film where everybody said, it's not really Alone in the Dark. So um, in that way, not my fault. But what was my fault was of course the cast Tara Reid. And it was my fault that we used the script first. Alain Maste wrote a script, then Roy Scherer went over the script. And then it got all a little messed up, but we were already in pre-production and we just started shooting the film. And that was a mistake. Financially, not, because we had to. But on the other hand, I should stop pre-production and spend more time developing the script. That is, the, in, in retrospective, everything is easier. But if you actually have the money together and you have the actors, then it's tough to stop something. Mm-hmm. Right, it's tough, tough to say. Christian Slater, we start four or five weeks later to shoot. Uh, then he's maybe not available anymore, or, or maybe he says no. Then fuck it, I, I, I signed for another film. All that stuff, um, because I was always my own producer too. I was the producer and director, so there is always was that struggle uh, in in me, you know. Yeah, uh, I understand. I mean, the the movies got made. Uh, regardless of yeah. the problems, they they came out. I know productions had just fallen apart and just disappeared. Um, but w- when it comes to the reviews, does it really matter to you what people say about your films? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, there, there were sophisticated uh, reviews where you have to learn from, where you have to say, yeah, there are good points, and, and you try to, to change it in the future and stuff like this. Um that is a hundred percent. But, but at the, but at the same time, uh, it's, uh, a lot of people don't know about filmmaking who write about filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that is the thing where, where, you know, where you feel like, uh, yeah, uh, well, you don't want to educate the critics because then they hate you even more, but they, should also put into account sometimes uh, that uh, yeah um, there are other reasons for things, and you have to you cannot judge everything maybe uh, the same. You cannot judge a production what has six seven months of production time and two hundred fifty million dollar budget mm-hmm. under the, the with the same criteria somebody makes a $3 million film in two weeks or something, you know, like it's, it's, uh, it's sometimes a little unfair. And, um, I think I had that later was in the name of the King, right? I mean, if you compare in the name of the King with Lord of the Rings, yes, it cannot compete, mm-hmm. you know, but if you, if you compare the film with the golden compass, uh, whatever, or some other films in that, in, like that kind of genre, uh, I don't think, my film is bad. I like my film more as the Golden Compass, for example. And uh, that is the thing where I think I got I got sometimes uh, always compared to the total all-time classics, 
and then my film sucked in comparison, you know. <laughs> but but yeah, but if you, yeah, yeah, I mean, you have to be realistic, right? I'm a genre fan too. I watch everything, so I know all the other films. And uh, but I think it's it's sometimes really unfair. A lot of directors getting a total break. Whatever they do, they're not getting really like harsh criticism for take Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean, uh, look at Boogie Nights and, and There Will Be Blood, one of two favorite films of mine. But look at the other films he did. Mm-hmm. The Master or Phantom Threat, one of the worst films ever. And, and you know, like, I mean, he did really shitty films. But because he did that total masterpieces, they give him a credit for mm-hmm. whatever he's doing. Same with Terrence Malick. I mean, Terrence Malick is horrible. You know? It's just a horrible, horrible, boring filmmaker who has nothing to tell but who would say this because he did badlands in the beginning of his career and stuff like this you know and and that is the thing where i feel um because house of the dead was the first film on the big scale i did what a lot of people watched and then I got a bad review, and then I did Alone in the Dark, got a bad review, then I got Blood Rain, and got a bad review, and then whatever I did in the in uh, later, uh, the opinion was the same. The reviews were the same. Mm-hmm. And and movies like Postal, mm-hmm. Soul on Wall Street, Rampage, they got, in a way, uh, harsh criticized, um, but there's no reason to criticize them because they're actually very good films. That is what I personally like. feel that a lot of critics really don't look deep enough into what I actually did and uh, also into the films I did after I was done with that big major uh, video game based movie. I think another problem may have been when you started getting a name, uh, it also was the time of uh, cynical internet reviews. So finding something that that's easy to punch down at, like, like one of your movies, they're just like, oh, well, it's an Uwe Boll movie, so we can just, we don't really have to take it seriously. We can just make fun of it, and we're gonna get the, we're gonna get that ad revenue anyway on our website. I think that may also be an issue. Um, totally. But, but then you you kind of got you got to punch back. Uh, you you got to knock out one of my friends, uh, Rich Kayanka. <laughs> so you 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 got to show them that yeah, you may you may be strong when it comes to words, but I'm still gonna knock you the fuck out. <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, he was, at that point he was a total prick, right? So he, yeah. he, I think he was he was over overly criticizing me also as a human being and stuff like this. And mm-hmm. then uh, uh, in a way he lied about that we that we promised him not to box for real or something. That was just a lie, total bullshit. You know, they all had to sign a waiver. We said before it's a revenge fight. It's mm-hmm. revenge for all the bad reviews. So that was not good for him. But later, when he got really sick and everything, I hoped him. Like I wished him all the best. And uh, we, we, since then, we have a good uh, online relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think he he respects me now too. And uh, and and I respected all four of them who went in the ring with me because they knew that I boxed when I was younger, mm-hmm. right? So they knew, knew there was a. Uh, not a high chance for them that they that they will win the fight, and uh, yeah, but that is also a thing I, I hoped for all that years to to gain some more fan uh, base or to, uh, like like people supporting me because I'm not hiding. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I talk to everybody. I don't have an agent, a PR person, a manager, and all that other bullshit with all that Hollywood people have. I'm totally approachable, and I do my own thing. And uh, uh, I know that all this kind of like protection other people have helps them to get better reviews. But I know myself that I'm I'm just a uh, <laughs> yeah like a maverick guy, right? So <laughs> I, I just cannot get uh, disciplined by a PR agent or, or or whatever, or an agent or a manager, I would never listen to them. I would just still do what my gut tells me to do. And then they would like dump me because uh, they, they think like uh, he's too politically incorrect or he, he cannot get controlled. So, you know, that is, is another thing what was not maybe in my favor in my career that I never had this kind of, corporate behind me to to uh, where I because I have the feeling like some reviewers are scared if they bash somebody who has a big law firm behind him a big management company behind them you know it's like this so and they know I I'm not protected by by any firm I think they basically had an easier time an easier target with Uber Ball to uh, to to blame me for everything or whatever or to bash me for everything well I'll let you in on a little secret uh, I've worked in the industry for quite a while and there were times when I would get a movie to review where my editor-in-chief would say you can't be harsh on this film or you can't say this or you you have to keep it within like this range of criticism or you can't give, give it below the score because we have to stay in good with the um, studio. And that's yeah. when I gave up on reviewing mainstream movies. And I just focused on independent films because an independent filmmaker is not going to be able to sue me for saying that their movie is good, bad or anything. I can say, I can be honest as opposed to a studio that can just say, okay, no more access for you. No more screeners, no more press events. Yeah. So that's when I just gave up on mainstream movies as as part of my writing. Just just quit all. No, and hundred percent, I see that. You know, I see, I see hundred. You're hundred percent right and honest about it. And uh, I think uh, that there were films like whatever Matrix two and three or whatever, <laughs> yeah. where 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 you know where if I would shot that films. Uh, I would want all the raises, I and people would say the biggest fucking piece of shit ever produced, you know. But that is this kind of films that are then protected by by just get so much PNA behind it. Mm-hmm. And yes, they got bad reviews, but they should got way worse reviews as they actually got. I, I completely agree. Um, my last question, because I've, I've kind of gone over our, our allotted time here, but what would be your words of wisdom to up-and-coming filmmakers? What would you say to them, that, those people that want to break into the industry the way you did? Yeah, stay true to yourself. Don't, don't try to make it right for everybody. And uh, try to find like uh, your, your voice. You know, stay, stay on track. What, what, find out where you're good at. What, what you're good at. Like, are you a good drama guy? A good comedy guy? Uh, and uh, 
and try to be the best in this what you feel you can you know so and and um that i think that is that is it but um then also try to connect yourself with the right people try to um uh, network in a way you know so uh i mean the, the big issue of film is it costs so much money if you're a painter or a writer you have it way easier. You can do it all at home, and it doesn't cost real money. But if you are like, if, if you want to make films, means you have to be a communicator. You have to be a money raiser. You have to be like a uh, out there, you know. And you can you can go based on your personal life history, location you are. Um, you have to find your way to finally make it happen, and um, that that could be totally different ways depending depending on what what is your surrounding i mean if if your father is jeff bezos you don't have to really kiss ass <laughs> for uh, to hollywood you know so that is the thing it, it, you really have to see but let's say you are this what we all normally are coming from nothing and not being really connected to the film industry then maybe in in today's time the best advice would be Work your way up and try to, to volunteer in a production company or in a studio. Try to get involved there like an assistant. Try to learn on sets as a PA and then make it work, you know. Then, then connect yourself on set with people you can use maybe for a short film. You convince the gaffer. You convince the camera guy to do for free with you a short film. What you can shop from, you can say, look... So, I mean, there was a lot of, you see, there's a lot of tips I'm giving, but I think that could be the the best idea. I mean, we were, I'm coming from a small German town and we just didn't have any film industry. So I had to just film with that Super 8 camera or video camera, uh, basically something, because I couldn't go on a film set and work. There was nothing. So it's it's different now. I mean, the film industry growth, of course, in the last 40 years. And uh, um, so I think uh, trying to volunteer somewhere is an easier way as to start filming on your own and then try to, to do something completely on your own as, as what I was forced to do. You've been listening to the Sixth Sense Media Podcast. You can find more of our celebrity interviews and roundtable discussions on iTunes, Podbean, and SoundCloud. Be sure to check out our movie, TV, and video game coverage at SixthSense.com and FanBolt.com.